Oh, friends, good morning. I, uh, I've got to start by sharing with you that I've been amused this morning from my seat and actually with my seat. And my two cents, uh, if you're all going to be having guest preachers for a little while, is that a fun Sunday game to play would be to not communicate who the guest preacher is and to just be surprised by who emerges <laughs> from the hidden chair in the wall. I think it could be, I think it could be fun. Uh, friends, as Sarah introduced me, and I, I'm so thankful for the invitation to come and, and uh, share a time of worship with you. My name is Reverend Eric Strickland, and um, a little bit of history and connection with this congregation. First of all, many, many friends who worship and belong to this church, um, but also, as Sarah said, I was approved for ordination uh, in your chapel, um, grew up down the road at Portage UCC, and I bring you greetings and blessings from the fine people whom I serve at St. Paul United Church of Christ down the road, down 94 aways in Chelsea, Michigan, um, who I hope are having a happy Sunday as well. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, it is so good for us to be here as strangers, neighbors, friends, co-sojourners on this journey together. May we recognize your resurrected life in the space that we create together and for one another, for the ways in which we accommodate the needs of our bodies, for the ways in which we advocate for each other and in the breaking of bread. I pray now, O oh God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable unto you, our rock, redeemer, and sustainer forever. Amen. So I, I think, and I believe this in my heart, that one of the essential truths, one of the more important things about our faith tradition as Christians is that we say, we believe that the body matters, that bodies matter, that a resurrected body on some level matters. Literally, our physical bodies matter and matter to God. The gift of incarnation of which we speak in our tradition, which says that God became flesh, is a testament to this truth. And it means that bodies matter to God and ought to matter to us, especially as we live in a world that so routinely disdains and oppresses bodies. It's good news. It's good news that bodies matter to God and are holy because I think, to, I think it gives us at least a little bit of clarity regarding what we're supposed to do while we're here both for ourselves and for one another together. There's a lot going on with bodies in this story from Luke that Sharon has read for us this morning. And by now, I, I don't think that there are really many surprises, at least I don't think so, but I'm always open to being surprised by a surface, on the surface level, by a story in scripture. But I, I don't think there are a whole lot of surprises, at least on that surface level of Luke's story about two of Jesus' disciples, two of his closest friends, journeying on a road to a town called Emmaus, just days after Jesus had been crucified and buried in a tomb. It comes up in our lectionary, if we're lectionary preaching churches, two out of every three years, so we're pretty used to it. Even if there is stuff just below the surface that's interesting and worth digging into, and there, there definitely is, I just want to hang out on the surface with this story and poke around at some of the obvious stuff 
if we don't mind this morning. I want to just look at the basics, and I think that we'll find some good guidance, and I think that we'll find some good news for our days together just there in the basics of this story. On the Sunday where we meet these characters in this story, on the Sunday after he had been crucified, these two friends of Jesus are making their journey from Jerusalem, where he had been killed and buried, to a town called Emmaus, which we don't know that much about. And on that journey, Jesus, raised and in the flesh, shows up to walk with them and to talk with them as a companion. But to them, as we've heard, he seems a stranger. They don't recognize him, even a little bit. And they even take the time to explain to him what had happened to him in the days before his arrest, his crucifixion, his burial, and the events that preceded all of this. I don't know why they didn't recognize him. I have no idea. I, I guess the best exegesis of the text might say that Luke wrote it this way in order to drive home the dramatic revelation at the end of the story when they do finally recognize Jesus gathered around a shared meal. It's a good setup. Otherwise, I have no idea. I don't know why they didn't recognize him. Perhaps it was the astonishment of having seen somebody who had been dead, now alive. That adds up too. But also, maybe we can wonder if they were disoriented by grief and fear, both of which are disorienting. All of that makes sense. But eventually, they all, the disciples and this stranger, who's actually Jesus, arrive at the place where they were headed and starting to get dark. And so it seems to occur quite naturally to these two disciples of Jesus to invite this assumed stranger to stay the night with them. Because a person and their body need safe shelter and food and drink, a place to be, a place to be safe and cared for. And so they shared a table and a meal and more conversation. The strangers to this man invest even just a small part of what they are able, space, food, drink, time, a place to rest, into the well-being of somebody who had been a stranger. They care enough to offer what they can to attend to the physical, bodily needs of another person, the shelter, the meal, the company, which shouldn't be lost on us, good company. And then they recognize, of course, that it was Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ, in their midst the entire time. They recognize him as it goes in the breaking of bread. They believe in the resurrection because in the shared space, food, and hospitality with the resurrected body of Christ. Now, I don't know Kalamazoo quite the way that I used to, though I grew up in the area. But I think it's pretty true across the board that we manage, as people who live in towns and in communities, to coexist in broad community with folks who are basically strangers to us, even if we are actually neighbors, technically. It's easy to stay inside and miss each other, but to kind of coexist together. And then I also remember a Frederick Beekner quote that a beloved seminary professor and mentor named Dow Edgerton once taught me in a class on grief, which goes like this. In any one town, at any time, anywhere, there is grief enough to freeze the blood. In any one town anywhere, there is grief enough to freeze the blood. And so I think whether we know each other or not, people go through a lot. People go through a lot. Not just grief because of death and loss, but people's bodies and spirits 
bear deep wounds of all kinds. That's why I belong to the church and have most of my life. But I say that realizing that I'm pretty lucky, I'm pretty privileged. The church for me has always harbored me and attended to my wounds and celebrated my healing and rejoiced at my thriving, which as we know isn't so for all bodies, all people. And I pray every day that the church will be the gathering at the end of the road to Emmaus for all people whose bodies need a place to break bread and belong and rest and to be celebrated and encouraged. I don't know that we can recognize the resurrected Christ in our neighbors who have been wounded by a world that hates their very bodies unless we are willing on some level to break bread, to share life with them, to offer of ourselves what we have to offer, time, space, food, money, solidarity with our own bodies sometimes, and so on. Now, I, I love this church here at FCC and the legacy you all have of being this kind of community of faith. So I don't intend this morning to really offer a lecture. I'm not trying to teach you something new or break new ground, delivering new information to you that hospitality is important and that the physical as well as spiritual needs of the people of God matter. I, I know that you know that. I'm here from across the state this morning to encourage you all, I think, to offer words of encouragement and my prayers to hold fast in this world that so often disdains and oppresses so many bodies and creates ways of keeping folks out. Hard, hold fast, because it's hard work. Every body isn't as free and safe and celebrated, loved and cared for as others. Again, I'm not breaking new news to you. There's a lot of hate and fear of supposed strangers in the world, and it sells, it sells a lot, makes a lot of money. It's getting harder in some ways. We could be tempted into believing that there are a lot more strangers sojourning with us than what is true. Don't believe it, don't believe it, don't listen. Hold fast to that which is good. I pray, I pray often as the church, as Christ's disciples, that we will listen well and travel the road to where we are going well, and see ourselves as companions to one another on that journey, but especially that the church will continue to care for people who have been wounded, folk who need a place to stay, who are hungry and thirsty, literally hungry and thirsty, not just for the spiritual food that we offer in our spaces of worship and in community, but folks who are hungry and thirsty, Folk who need space to heal, and not just to come and stay broken, but folk who need to be celebrated on their way to thriving. And church, let us be a space for folk who need to just enjoy some plain good company. It's a long road, and a lot of folks could use some company on their journey, but especially a place to be and good folks to be with. My prayer is that the church, this church, my church, our church universal in Christ's name will be the place where Jesus Christ is at last recognized in the breaking of bread, the sharing of life amongst people on a journey together. May it be so. Amen.